Hello there, listeners. The 1904 Louisiana Purchase Exposition, more commonly referred to as the St. Louis World's Fair, opened its gates on May 1, 1904, and throughout its seven months of life, it entertained approximately 20 million visitors from all over the world. It truly was a remarkable event, and its impact on St. Louis and the world is felt today. Cotton candy, private automobiles, x-ray machines, and other technologies debuted at the fair. Forest Park and Washington University in St. Louis still retain remnants of the exposition, although most of the impressively elaborate buildings were disposable and are no longer standing. Today's episode starts by considering a tragedy at the fair. And then, to lighten the tone, we'll delve into some of the crazier aspects of the 1904 Summer Olympic Games held in conjunction with the Louisiana Purchase Exposition. Join me and my friend Sherry as she tries to distinguish between fact or fiction. So, ready to play? Hello, Sherry. Welcome to Fact or Fiction. I'm so excited to have you as my guest. All right, let's get started. The Louisiana Purchase Exposition, as you know, was a big deal for St. Louis. I mean, we still talk about it today, right? Very big deal, yes. Yeah. So you may or may not have known that they have that St. Louis had lost out to their Midwestern rival Chicago for the 1893 World's Fair. I did not know that, no. So the movers and shakers in St. Louis wanted to make as big a splash as they could when it was their turn to host. I'm guessing that the St. Louis-Chicago rivalry predates Cards and Cubs, right? Sounds like it, yeah. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Right. So obviously the name of the fair, the Louisiana Purchase Exposition, references the Louisiana Purchase, right? Makes sense, yes. Uh, yeah, and that, I know you know this, but that was actually Thomas Jefferson's 1803 purchase of 827,000 square miles east of the Mississippi River. Yes. Yeah. So like some little known facts about, well, I guess I don't know if they're little known, but some details. <laughs> Jefferson paid $15 million for the lamb that he bought from Napoleon. It was a steal. It was a steal, <laughs> right. So in a nod to history and an attempt to get money for the fair, the fair's organizers started a campaign to earn $15 million. Oh, okay. Just yep. the same amount that Jefferson. That he, oh. Yeah. They raised this money through a $5 million contribution from the city of St. Louis, $5 million from private donations, and $5 million from the U.S. government. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And just as a fun side note for fact or fiction listeners, they met to establish the Louisiana Purchase Exposition Company in the Southern Hotel, which episode one, where they found the trunk. Oh, Yeah. It was in the Southern Hotel. Interesting. I know. I was so excited when I read that. Popular place. I, yeah, I think it was, yeah, for, you know, bodies. Okay. Um. Yeah. Oh, in addition to what the fair organizers paid in the development of the fair. So this $15 million in addition to that. Okay. Other states, nations, and private individuals with exhibits or concessions funded their own areas. And so they estimate oh. that the total cost according to a website I found, was $50 million. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huge. It was, yeah. It was huge, especially in that time period, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So the organizers viewed the fair as an opportunity to showcase the accomplishments, the ingenuity, and the supremacy of the United States and its citizens. And to some extent, it definitely did that. Yes. So it included some kind of remarkable things. The um, largest organ in the world at the time, which was built by the Los Angeles Art Organ Company, 
Oh, wow. Okay. A bust of Teddy Roosevelt made of butter. Oh, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I've got a picture of it I'll put on the website. Yeah. It's, it's very impressive. A larger-than-life elephant coated in almonds. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. I have a picture of that, too. That's weird. And a, It is really weird. And the a butter's four, weird, too. <laughs> no, I know. And this is weird, too. And a 45-foot-high Missouri corn palace decorated in husks and corn cobs. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm still getting over the butter thing because, you know, it's hot in Missouri. So well, that, <laughs> actually that's going to come into play later, but okay. yes, you're right. The weather definitely comes into play. So there are also a number of buildings, over 250 exhibit buildings built by the fair committee, 13 mm-hmm. buildings built by Washington University, oh. almost, I know. Yeah. Almost 200 other buildings built by other states, nations, and territories and 448 concession buildings. That's a lot. Wow. Yeah. And the buildings were all like really fancy. Elaborate. Yeah, they were, they were fancy. Yeah. So most of the buildings from the fair are gone now. And I had really always wondered what happened to them. Do you know? No. Mm-mm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I just, I was like, well, I knew it was in Forest Park and I knew the, um, like the flight cage at the I was going to say the zoo, right? Yeah. Right. I knew that was there, but then I had no idea what happened to all the others. Well, it turns out they were actually made of something called staff, which was a mixture of plaster of Paris and hemp fibers on a wooden frame. Really? Uh, and so, like, they kept, they had to kind of keep patching things up during the... Yeah, it doesn't seem very strong or very sturdy there, no? No, uh uh-uh, <laughs> no. And guess who, like, when it was finally, when the whole thing was finally finished? Yeah. When the fair ended? Guess who demolished everything? Who? Well, I don't know exactly who. <laughs> But a Chicago wrecking company. Oh, did that. that's now that's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> I know. A little ironic. <laughs> I know. Is that rivalry's just I was uh, saying, tug of war for you? Yeah. <laughs> we'll show you. We're back at the building down. <laughs> right. So we talked about the flight cage. We knew that's still yeah. there. There's also the St. Louis Art Museum was actually a permanent structure. Oh, okay. So the building yeah, it was the Palace of Fine Arts. And then there's also the statue of King Louis the Ninth of oh, France that's yes. in front of the by Art Hill, right? Right. right yeah. that, okay. I didn't realize that was from the fair, but yeah. 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 And then, oh, another relic that's still left is Brookings Hall on the Washington University campus. Oh, interesting. So they have one permanent building too. So. I guess it makes sense because they put some of those buildings up, you know, in front of right. the money. Yeah. Right. Now, another, like a rumor I'd always heard, and actually in one of the books I have, they said that the jewel box was part of the fair too. Yeah, I thought so. I'd heard well, that. I had heard, that's not true actually. Oh, it's not true? Oh. No, I, I was under the same. Oh, I, yeah, because it kind of looks similar to the, you know. The... It does. It was actually built in 1936. Oh, so. well, look at that. <laughs> I know. So what do we know? Okay, we're learning new things every day. Yeah. So remember how I said that the fair showcased technological miracles? Yes. So in 1904, people had heard about automobiles, personal automobiles, and air travel, but these were rare and few ordinary people had the chance to see these marvels. So the fair's Palace of Transportation completed at a cost of almost $690,000. Wow. And covering 16 acres. Six 16 acres? Mm -hmm. Wow. (laughs) It included electric streetcars, personal automobiles, and also, and the fair even hosted an airship contest. I don't think this was actually inside the palace. It was outside, but yeah. um, (laughs) And the airships had a contest where they, they had a course marked with stationary air balloons. Oh, okay. Nobody actually won this contest. Nobody could actually finish it, but. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, also there was a palace of electricity and machinery (laughs) and it was constructed at a cost of $413,000. And one of the cooler things about the fair is that, you know, electricity was really new to the average person. 
And so even the tents that they put up, the temporary housing that they put up for people, those had electric lights, which would have been such a miracle. Wow. A big deal. Yeah. So the Palace of Electricity, um, oh, it cost about $413,000 to build. And I couldn't find how big it was, but it wasn't as big as the Transportation Palace. But Okay. Palace of Electricity and Machinery had a wireless telegraph or radio phone. Ooh. Yeah. So early radio, right? And even an early fax machine. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Which was called the Telautograph. Oh, really? <laughs> and even, I know. Even the eccentric Nikola Tesla visited the fair for a week. Well, look at there. And he put on a series of (laughs) demonstrations of his uses of AC current, much to the astonishment of the assembled fairgoers. Ooh, really? One of whom was (laughs) hospitalized after a demonstration. Oh, (laughs) that didn't go so well. No, no. So also, in addition to the electricity, there were also medical miracles on display. There was a phototherapy unit using ultraviolet light to treat a form of lupus. Okay. And and it would actually eventually be used to treat other diseases, this phototherapy. And the guy that was in charge or that created it, I didn't write his name down, but he actually was awarded a Nobel Prize later. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. So the x-ray machine, which had been invented earlier, but it really wasn't perfected until right before the fair. So a really working x-ray machine was one of the things people could marvel at. Wow. And then also there was an infant incubator. Mm -hmm. Right. So infant incubators were rare in early 20th century. I mean, they would be because they had to use electricity. Yeah. Right. Right. So they had been invented in 1888. Oh, okay. <laughs> Most hospitals did not use them. Yeah, it wouldn't, yeah. Yeah, it must be a very rare thing, I would think. Yeah, yeah. so here's where the story is kind of going to get a little unpleasant. So the Uh-oh. first infant incubator <laughs> exhibit was located not in one of the major palaces that celebrated the advance- advancements of the age, okay? Which you would think it would be in like a great hall. It would be Okay. So instead, though, um, it was in an area that they called the Pike. Yeah. Which, in my mind, I kind of see it as like the Vegas, the old Vegas Strip. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that could right. be interesting. So, yeah, exactly. I think it was. It had like <laughs> like street performers. I was say it was probably more the yeah. Uh, let's uh. see. It was. Just- uh, informal, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So um, it was basically a mile long street lined with a, this is a quote, um, a mixed bag of attractions from the elaborate to the simple that focused on not only informing the average fairgoer, but thrilling, scaring, and humoring them with elaborate and sometimes eyebrow raising amusements. And that's where they had the baby incubator? And that's where they had the baby. Yeah. So, no. <laughs> no, no, no. So these infants' lives hung in the balance between camel rides and belly dancers, right? Oh my right? gosh. <laughs> This is Vegas. <laughs> and this, this is a crime, right? I mean, it right. really is. But we're going to try to look at it through the lens of the people of this era. Okay. So according to a 2019 Post-Dispatch article by Aisha Sultan, here's a quote, hospitals had little regard for weaklings, oh. as they were known. Those were the preemies. I know. Don't cry. <laughs> and desperate parents would flock to these fairs for a chance okay. at survival, which I totally would do. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Right. So I'm theorizing, but I kind of think that the idea that, because this would have been the time when Darwin's theories were oh, okay. yep. a little, like a little misrepresented and people used, used this whole idea of the strong will survive right. or only the fittest will survive. 
So that, yeah, no need for the incubators kind of thing. Yeah. Right. But fortunately, there's a good side. Well, good. I'm glad. Cap- yeah. <laughs> Capitalism helps solve the problem. Oh, good. Because I was getting depressing. <laughs> right. Oh, it, it gets worse. Oh, great. So, right. So, so people, if you've ever seen a premature baby, yes. which I'm sure you have, they, and actually you just visited the baby I too. Did. And they're beautiful. Yeah, they're beautiful. Right? Yep. Everybody loves babies. So <laughs> you know that, that preemies look just like any other beautiful baby. Right, just smaller. But because <laughs> they're so tiny, that just makes them really, really like yeah. cute to look at, right? Mm-hmm. Well, an innovative guy got the idea that he could display a bunch of these incubators filled with little teeny tiny miracle babies at World's Fairs. Oh. So, and at Coney Island. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he had these on display at, um, at the 1897 fair, an 1898 fair, 1901, and the 1904 fair. But here's the enterprising part. He charged people to see them. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you'd have to pay so to get in to look at the You're babies. going to the premium nursery. Okay. <laughs> right. I know. So the Post-Dispatch article points out that these babies were literally a sideshow exhibit. Oh, wow. Which, I mean, it isn't the worst thing if it's actually helping the babies. Right. You wouldn't have had a chance. Yeah, but it makes sense why they didn't have it in the big building you were talking about. So, yeah. Right. Right. Unfortunately, while Dr. Cooney, I hope I'm saying his name right, who's the guy that like came up with this idea, uh, the plan to showcase infants and incubators, he had an 85% survival rate at his exhibits. Oh. So he was doing something right. That's, well, that's yeah, really that's, pretty good for the time. Yeah, that is good. Yeah. yeah especially for the time. Definitely. Right. Mm-hmm. And I really think he had his heart in the right place. I even found a picture of his own daughter who'd been saved through the use of an infant incubator. Oh, wow. I okay. know. That makes the story better then. It okay. does. Right. <laughs> But unfortunately, the St. Louis Fair Committee decided to go with the lowest bidder for their infant incubator exhibit. Oh, no. Not good. No. Mm -mm. So I'm going to quote this book by uh, a woman named Dawn Raphael. And this was quoted in the Post-Dispatch article because it just says it all. So it was total greed. They were feeding the premature infants cow's milk, cereal, and egg. Oh. Infants were vomiting and having diarrhea. Oh, poor babies. The machines were overheating. The conditions were filthy with flies swarming around. Out of 43 babies, a reported 39 student died. Oh, man. Wow. Right. So obviously people were upset about this. So many people complained, but the deaths were hushed up. Oh. And the exhibit continued and continued to charge money. Really? Uh-huh. That is right. wild. So, so there were some, like, important people that complained. And eventually, like the doctor that was in charge of the exhibit was an inexperienced doctor. He was replaced by a better doctor and conditions did improve and they had a a better survival rate. But the new doctor, his name is Dr. John Zahorsky, he may have actually in the long run have had a negative impact on the future use of incubators because, you know, he came in and had to clean up the mess. So he saw how dangerous it could be. Right. And he told others that he was not a fan of incubators for preemies, and he recommended that they should just be sent home instead of cared for in the hospitals. Oh, right. Wow. Yeah. So this may have actually set back the regular use of incubators by years, which in turn may possibly have killed any number of babies who could have benefited from them. So I'm surprised he was even involved in it then. I guess he, he didn't want it, I guess. Is that why he was? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I'm not sure what the story is. Like, weird. Why. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So what is good, though, is that through Cooney's success that he had with babies at okay. other exhibits, infant incubators became more mainstream and have saved countless lives today. Yay! Yay, now yeah. that's good. Yeah, right. So, you know, we don't have to look at everything good and the bad. Yeah. History happened, right. Right. 
So that I, was. I still can't believe I'm, I'm picturing this side street or sideshow on the street of these babies just in these incubators. Well, with they're the in heat a, and the. They were in a, their own like building. Right, but still, uh, like like you said, the flies and the heat and the that's just nasty. I know. Well, in <laughs> St. Louis in the summertime, so the fair started right. in May <laughs> and ended in December, early like the end right. of November. So yeah. Okay. So, I don't know, but. Um, Okay, so there was more craziness, though. <laughs> and I actually might do a second episode on all of it. But for now, though, I'll conclude by telling you a little about, about the 1904 Summer Olympic Games held in St. Louis near the fairgrounds. Okay. All right. And I didn't know this part either. So I knew about the Olympic Games, but I didn't know this. So originally, the first modern Olympic Games to be held in the United States were scheduled for 1904 in Chicago. Oh, oh, look at that. <laughs> there we go again. <laughs> so originally, the Louisiana Purchase Exposition was to be held in 1903, exactly a century after Jefferson's Louisiana Purchase, because remember that was okay. 1803? Right, okay. Well, but because of construction delays, the fair was postponed until 1904, and Baron Pierre de Coubertin, founder of the International Olympic Committee, was fearful that the Games might be upstaged by St. Louis's World Fair. Oh. So he actually allowed them to, he, he allowed the games to move from Chicago to St. Louis. When it combined them. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Smart. So, and actually, I know. So actually this Baron de Coubertin guy is kind of interesting. He started the modern Olympic games in 1896. Oh, wow. Uh, and of course. Is he from St. Louis? No, no. no he's, okay. I think he's French. Oh, okay. Right. They were overseas. Like they were in Europe. Correct. The first yeah. ones were, I think the first uh, modern one was in Greece. I think so. I think that makes sense. I think that's where he held it. And then I had, think they had one in Paris and then they were coming to the States, but I'm not sure. So obviously they're starting out. The games were not at all what we would expect to see today. For example, only 12 countries participated. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh -huh. Many countries declined to participate because of the cost and slow speed of travel to St. Louis. Okay. And according to history.com, this is a quote, 523 of the 630 athletes in the event were Americans. Oh. <laughs> right. So the United States would go on to win a total of 239 medals, which... Look at that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Little stacked, I think, maybe. I don't know. And then also the U.S. was criticized for fielding several European immigrants who were still technically not U.S. citizens. Oh, yeah. So, and actually, one thing I read said that Norway was still contesting some of the winners <laughs> from the 1904. Oh, my. Recently. <laughs> Recently? Yeah, like 2012, I think okay. they were contesting. <laughs> Let it be gone. <laughs> right. So they also had some different events. Okay. One event that's obviously not part of the current Olympic Games is tug of war. Oh, look at that. Field day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Which was actually popular at Summer Games until 1920. Another unusual Olympic event included golf. Really? Okay. Uh-huh. And I love, I wish I could have seen this one. And they called it plunge for distance diving contest. Oh, like on, what is, what did they do? I don't know. I'm thinking it's like the kids when they're playing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The little, the little find the pennies or whatever, and they dive down. and. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I thought maybe like down a hill with the tarp. <laughs> slip and slide. Oh. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't think so. No, I mean, I don't fun. know. I couldn't find any information on it other than that's what it was called. <laughs> and so, we were, we were yeah. right. The first games were in Athens. I, I thought so. Oh, you looked but, it up over Okay, yeah. smart. <laughs> so I couldn't find out if poetry was an event in 1904, but... Poetry? Uh-huh. Oh. But I... Did read that Baron de Coubertin, the guy who created these, right. won a gold medal for literature in the 1912 Summer Olympics. 
for his poem, Ode to Sport. Interesting. <laughs> I didn't know that was a sport, but okay. You're a PE, you're a PE teacher, so yes. maybe you should start having your students like, do a haiku after they run a lap or, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, why not? So I'm going to conclude the Olympic event with my absolute favorite part of the, the 1904 World's Fair. And this is an event that History.com calls the most outrageous marathon in Olympic history. Oh, <laughs> Right. Now, do you know anything about this? I don't. I'm curious. Oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, good. So I asked you to do this because of this part, because you're my marathon triathlete <laughs> Ironman friend. So uh, as you know, weather in St. Louis in late August is pleasant. No. No, no. Hot, steamy, humid. Mm-mm. Hard for running. Bad for running. Oh, yes. Bad for <laughs> running. Right. The race was held in 90 degree weather. Yep. And you know, the humidity had to have been like 100%, 100% yeah. on a dust covered road. Oh, <laughs> so 18 of the 32 competitors withdrew from exhaustion. Oh, wow. So they didn't even finish. One even suffered from a stomach hemorrhage and almost died. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Now, oddly enough, though, in spite of the heat, the first man to cross the finish line seemed fresh as a daisy. Oh, interesting. And he was even awarded a kiss by Teddy Roosevelt's daughter, Alice, which that was, you know, she was giving out the, like, the medal right. to the winner and a little comment sheet. I know. But that's great. Until somebody mentioned that this guy had actually ridden in a car, an automobile, for 16 miles of a 26.2 mile race. Oh, my mile goodness. Race. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, I thought it was a joke. That's yeah. horrible. <laughs> I know, it really is. Oh my God. Can you imagine? Mm. Later, when Thomas Hicks, who'd actually run the entire race, length of the race, crossed the finish line with a time of three hours and 29 minutes. Wow. Okay. That's what I read that wasn't great. No, but for those conditions and dust, it would be. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, also, he was in really bad shape. You can only imagine the shoes they're wearing, too, or probably nothing. (laughs) No, no. Right. His trainers had kept him going with eggs, brandy. And regular doses of strychnine. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. Yeah, so like your race goo packets or whatever. Right. Imagine those are, those are strychnine. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. So at least for two other runners had weird problems. There was Felix Carbial, a Cuban runner, and he suffered from severe stomach cramps after eating apples along the race route. Oh, okay. I don't know if he just stopped and picked right. some up and ate and it. Or got, why he got sick? I don't know. <laughs> right. And then this is really interesting. Um, I had to do some digging for this part. Jan Mascioni, a South African runner, was chased off the course by a pack of wild dogs. Oh, it, what? what? <laughs> I know. And Mascioni placed 12. Oh. So even though that happened, he <laughs> managed to play yeah. 12, which... I don't know. I think that's pretty fun. So, all right. So, my friend, this concludes this installment of the St. Louis's 1904 Louisiana Purchase Exposition. Thoughts, comments? Lots of interesting things going on, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Sherry. So, are you ready to play fact or fiction? Let's do this. Yay! <laughs> okay. Bell Toffee. The toffee made from Aunt Ida Bell's secret family recipe uses only quality ingredients like Belgian and Colombian chocolate, pure cane sugar, creamery butter, almonds from California, and hazelnuts from Oregon. Made in small batches, Bell Toffee comes in a variety of luscious flavors. Bourbon pecan, milk chocolate almond, dark chocolate almond, and roasted hazelnut espresso. Bell Toffee is available in beautiful, resealable foil bags and attractive tins, making it a perfect gift for the holidays, corporate events, weddings, showers, and any other occasion where you want to make an impression. You'll feel good knowing that you're sharing a quality item with the important people in your life. And they've made it so easy. Now you can place an order on the Bell Toffee website, and they'll ship it right to the address you provide. 
Go to belltoffee.com to order a bag or attend to show appreciation to the people in your life. That's B-E-L-L-E-T-O-F-F-E-E.com. While you're there, order a little something for yourself. You too deserve to experience the signature toffee crush. Okay, so number one, the temporary buildings at the fair were demolished by a Chicago wrecking company. Okay. Number two, Nikola Tesla visited the fair for a week to put on a series of demonstrations, much to the astonishment of the assembled fairgoers. Okay. Number three... One event that's not part of the current Olympic Games was the tug of war, which was actually popular at summer games until 1920. Hmm. In 1912, Baron de Coubertin, founder of the modern Olympic Games, won the gold medal for literature in the Summer Olympics for his poem, Ode to Sport. <laughs> and I'm supposed to pick the one that's not true. Hmm. Uh-huh. You're, you're tricky here. <laughs> And what's funny is to me, they kind of all sound crazy. So. <laughs> that's, that's what started me on this whole thing because I was reading these newspaper articles and I was like, nobody would believe no. this if I put, made it up. So Yeah, I mean, like the gold medal for literature, that doesn't make any sense to me. But I mean, <laughs> how is that a sport? But I, I, yeah, I don't, I, that one sounds fishy. <laughs> um, the Chicago Wrecking Ball, that make, that's kind of hilarious. And that kind of goes with our little Chicago rivalry. So that might be. But then why would they have another company from somewhere else come and why would they pay them and not Missouri people? Mm-hmm. So, oh, I don't know. Hmm. Tesla, was that even, is he even around then? <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was thinking that, oh, and tug of war, that just makes me laugh. But that could be an actual game. <laughs> I mean, the kids love it at school. So. They do. Wow. Huh. I would have to go with the literature thing because really we're running marathons and now we're going to get a poem. <laughs> I just don't think that goes. I don't know, though. That one is so crazy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, I wish, and that actually is true. Really? Uh-huh. And I kind of think, like, I wish that was still a thing. Okay, you I love literature, yeah. I can't run any marathons. So then also the tug of war, you were right, that, that actually happened. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. And then the Chicago Wrecking Company did tear down the building. Really? So I made up the... I made up the Tesla connection, okay. although that the time period works. It does. That, okay. So. See, I wasn't sure of the time period of that one. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Actually, Bruce helped me with that one because I was like, I can't make anything up that sounds anywhere near as crazy as the I know. These things, are, I mean, so. seriously, how these four, I'm like, really? Which one? <laughs> but that is funny, though, that they would actually have the Chicago Wrecking Company come after we took it from them. <laughs> I, I thought that was worth noting yeah. because of all the, you know, the rivalry that still goes on today. Yeah. yeah, the rivalry. Right. So. Interesting. Right. So, yay. <laughs> so, so thanks a lot. You're um, I appreciate you being my guest today. <laughs> it was fun. Thank you. Yay. I had fun too. So, all right. Thanks, Sherry. Thank you, Laura. <laughs> bye bye. Hello there, listeners. I hope you learned a little something today and even had a few laughs with us. Sadly, from here on out, Fact or Fiction will only post new episodes every other week. If it were up to me, I'd spend all of my time researching, writing, and producing podcast episodes, but I do have other obligations. So tune in in two weeks from today for another Too Crazy to Believe story from the past that illustrates that fact is stranger than fiction. Also, this month's contest to win a bag of Bell Toffee ends at midnight, Central Time, on June 30th. To participate, please visit the Fact or Fiction Facebook page and click on the Fact or Fiction contest link to enter. While you're at that Facebook page, please reach out to let me know what you think of the podcast. 
or if you have historical crimes from your city you'd like me to cover in the future. I can't wait to hear from you. Also, please rate and review Factor Fiction on your podcast listening platform. This is what helps me grow my fan base so more people can test their skills at distinguishing between fact or fiction. See you in a couple weeks. Bye!